Alright, Cleo. We're going to go in there and we're going to do... Wait. Wait, what am I going to do? What type of well, skills and abilities do I have? Well, I mean, I've seen you... I've seen you clean out the inside of a cup real good. I don't think I have proficiency in cup cleaning, well, though you, perhaps I nah, do. Nah, you do. You do. Would, would be quite good. Boris, Boris, do you know what you do? Um... <laughs> Not much. I fly, I fly the si Oh, no, no, sorry, that's Trevor. Yes, that's Trevor. Yeah. Cleo, do you have any idea what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't have any idea what you're doing, do you? Yeah. All right, everyone. That's, um, sorry. Pause the war. Pause the battle. We'll just be a moment. We just... Oh, jeez, guys, you really... We're in the middle of a fight here. Hold us up, then we should stop firing. Yeah, everyone stop firing, please, for one moment. We're just going Where's to... Where's my paper? Yeah, everyone get out your character sheets. Let's figure this stuff out. What are, what are the bloody rules here? <laughs> okay, I'm looking at Boris, get your sheet. Everyone, get the get your character sheets out. Can you write the number? I can't hold the What's pen. Was I supposed to put hit points in here or here? Oh. I don't, say, I don't stand for hit points. Oh, yeah, I'm not too sure. That's heck points. Ah, heck points. Yes, I'll take full heck, heck points. points. You, can't, you can't just have them. Oh, oh. right. All right, everyone, and you back there. Random oppressive force that we appear to be battling. Have you got your character sheets out? I didn't know we needed sheets. Everyone needs to have a sheet from now on. We're going to do this thing properly. Let's figure out the rules. And welcome everybody. This is an extra special installation of that ongoing saga that we refer to fondly as being the Backwater Bastards in Space. In Space? Oh, here we are. And we're in. And we're uh, back. Hey guys. Hello. Hi. I'm... I'm I'm your dungeon master, Dick Dynamite. Uh, I have with Ooh, me today, as always, and not really playing a character. It is just what? Just Daniel? Just just Daniel? Just Daniel? Ah, oh, it's just Daniel. It's me, just Daniel. That's how <laughs> also, you know. Yeah. He does he does <laughs> play the uh, the space jelly, Doctor Z. Oh, well. and I cannot wait to tell you all about Doctor Z and who Z is. And then, of course, the, the the troubled mind behind Earth Sun Explosives expert Cleo. It is Taylor. <gasps> bees. <laughs> what? That's. A... I just that was what was in me. <laughs> the bees. <laughs> well, you need to get those bees out, Tay. Well, we have tried. And staring this spaceship through the misty mountains that are asteroids floating out there in the void, through past galactic interstellar worms, it is. The dastly DM Dick Dynamite. Thank you, thank you. I thought you were going to clap for a second there. But, uh, okay. So w why why have we gathered here, folks? We because we're going to we play gotta, a game. We got to play a game. But uh, before we can play a game, you got to explain the game, right? Yeah. We got to set some expectations. Got to build some foundations. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. We got to talk about rules. <laughs> exactly. We got to talk about what is because that's what this is. That's what this this episode here is. What is the Backwater Bastards. What is it? What is it? What is that thing we call the Backwater Bastards? First of all, we're, we're an actual play podcast, but we're also some sort of, you know, like audio drama, improv comedy uh, nonsense. But what we do is we play a game. We play a tabletop game. Mm -hmm. We do. And we it's do. in space. It and is it's set um, in space. 
It's a, it's basically we're beta testing. It's the closed beta of a, a system that I personally have been creating in my spare time called Orbital Refuse. Oh, we got in there, Taylor. You and I, closed beta testers. Closed beta. <laughs> <laughs> and um, at its core, I mean, Orbital Refuse. How do I explain it? It's um. Like I, I play a fair bit of um, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. I liked some of it. I we even did together a lot of it. Yeah. So I, th- I thought like let's throw out all the stuff I don't like and what's left. It's not very much. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> so the first thing I thought was like I don't like classes, especially if we're doing like a space thing where you want to have aliens and robots and all sorts of craziness. Like you, we don't need classes. We don't need classes them. is unnecessary. So the way a character in Orbital Refuse works is they have they've just got one set of stats that is advantages and disadvantages that's it so anything that would be a skill a stat a proficiency anything like that in some other game we just call it an advantage yes it's it's super simple but it's uh it, it's a lot of fun but it's a double-edged sword it is when you make your character you've got these points you've got three points that you can spend on advantages and uh, advantages they cost like one to two points you don't get very many but you can get more of these shiny little points by taking some disadvantages. And that is how we played our characters. And when we played D&D and when we played other campaigns, we always like to play a little yeah, bit of you, a broken... You gotta, maybe you they suck a little bit. You know, maybe they're, they're not Just the like greatest. us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's a balancing act, you know? Like, you can have as many advantages as you want, but you've got to cancel them out with disadvantages. Yeah. And it means you could make a really... Like a shockingly like bizarre character that was like really good at some things and really bad at other things. Or you could just sort of make a character that can do all the shit you like and this is a little bit bad at some of the things that you didn't really want anyway. Okay, so well, you know, you're looking at that, like you have the kind of the basic stats. So you got you got strength, you got speed, you got dexterity, and you've got durability. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't put any intelligence or charisma because I feel like those are really different things. Like intelligence doesn't mean any one thing in the real world. So in this game, it's, that's how it works as well. So, so your physical stats, you can have those increased or decreased. And say you're making a dexterity roll. You roll a d20. You know, if you're just trying to do something easy, then like the, the, the top half of that is basically a, a win. But if you've got the advantage of enhanced dexterity, then you get a plus five to that. So basically you roll dice and you only need to get five or higher Mm. and you're in, you're winning. So anything, if you don't have a, uh, an advantage in a stat is just, you hit the 10, you're succeeding, but just, uh, and if you're below the 10, then you're failing, but just, and then to the extremes of the one big fail and the 20 big crit, that's where you're sitting. Exactly. And then it just gets adjusted. So you've got an advantage. You've got a plus five on that. So you're going to win a lot of the time. Like you roll it. Chances are you're going to succeed. If you've got a disadvantage, you've got minus five. So you're usually going to fail it. Mm. So the whole thing is advantages and disadvantages. They really do seriously impact the way your character interacts with the world, the way your character is in combat. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to roll with that. Uh, you know, for us, it's that de- dexterity sometimes that are uh, mm. going to get in our way. But then, yeah. Okay. So that's the that same token. I mean, taking one of those things makes a lot of sense. You know, like, Adjusting your stats to what your character's physical strengths and things would be. So yes. maybe I'd go for like, you know, like a, like an enhanced speed and durability, but like terrible strength or something. And you know? maybe, why not? Okay, so you're going to put, uh, just so that everyone can follow along, you're going to put one point into enhanced speed, but you're going to also gain a point back from taking bad durability. Maybe a frail body. Yeah, let's say that. That sounds good. So I'm sitting at zero points still, which is great. Three points to spend. Then you, you're going to need some sort of weapon proficiency, probably. You don't have to, but like it makes a lot of sense. So we've again, I, this is it's pretty streamlined. You've got your one-handed blasters, you've got your two-handed blaster rifles, you've got your one-handed energy weapons like energy daggers, energy blades, or you've got your two-handed like energy staffs, and um, that's it. 
So basically, you're breaking things down into simple melee and long range and medium and uh, short range weapons. Yeah. So here's the other thing, right? All your one-handed weapons, for the most part, they they, they all just have a D6 dice. You know, there can be modifiers and so on, but like, generally speaking, yeah, one-handed weapon, D6 dice, two-handed weapon, a D8 dice. Okay. Simple as that. Now, durability, the enhanced and decreased durability. Say I get poisoned and I have to roll, I'm getting a minus five on that roll because I'm using my durability. But not only that, it, it adjusts my hit points. So every single character in this world, unless they're like a, you know, some sort of giant dragon or something, some NPC, but every like normal humanoid character has 10 hit points. That's it. Just 10 hit points. Mm-hmm. You take the decreased durability or you lose some. You only got seven. If you take the increased durability, you got, yeah, yeah. you got 15, like Cleo. But that's it. There's only three different hit points that you can ever have. Combat. I'm not really talking about combat, but I guess we should mention this. Combat. Combat, like, so... This is the whole thing. Like when you've got a plus five and your chances of hitting are so high, there needs to be a, a counter to that. And the counter is contested rolls. So every, every person in a fight has, at the start of their turn, three energy. And they can spend that energy on their turn, but they can also spend that energy on anyone else's turn. Yes. And the, the only real caveat of that is when they're doing like attacks, like actual attacks, they have to um, do it on their own turn and they can only do as many as they have weapons equipped. Right, so I'm sitting here. You have, uh, you're, you're coming at me with uh, two blaster rifles, perhaps, shooting away, and uh, I could either just hope that you miss and do nothing or I could use one of my energy points to start rolling away, start trying to dodge while you're shooting at the same time. Exactly. So, you know, say I'm coming in, maybe I'm running in. So I'm spending an energy point to move. Again, yeah. movement speed is a fixed amount. If, unless you've got a speed advantage, then you can move further. It's, it's all like, a, it kind of explains itself now that I've, you know, started. But I move in, I shoot one weapon, I shoot the other weapon. So I've used all my energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point, great. Like, I, I could do a lot of damage to you, but you've still got your energy. So you could decide to just duck for cover. Or like, you know, lift something up to block yourself. Or maybe you're, you know, maybe you're telekinetic and you raise up a telekinetic barrier. There's all sorts of things you could do. Like anything you can imagine using your equipment and your skills. If you've got the energy to do it, you can just do it. It's a storytelling based combat system. So it's, I try to do something, I counter that with this thing. It's like that playground play of like, you know, like, oh, you can't hit me because I've got wizard armor, but with rules (laughs) to make it fair. So let's say Dan who you're shooting at, Dan uses all three energy doing something. So let's say he like, he fires off a single shot back at you. He throws up a shield maybe just to cover himself while he runs and he goes to hide. So he has done three things and now he's out. (sighs) When does he get more energy back? Well, okay, we've got, we've got a turn order. When we get back around to Dan's turn, boom, three energy again. Easy as that. Straight back. But, Here's a sitting duck until that point. So if I've got another enemy that's going to come in and then like you just run in and shoot him, Dan's you know not going to be able to do any major actions to to defend that. So you got to you got to be yeah you got to conserve your energy when it makes sense to, and use it when it makes sense. But perhaps I could uh, reach out with my mind across and uh, and kind of just uh, do the the sad cat eyes to to my friend Cleo to cap and say, help me please help me. And could Cleo jump in with uh, with her action and join our little combat that's going on over here? I mean, of course. Uh, this is it's Brilliant. my turn. But anyone who wants to, who has the energy, can act. They can get in there. So Cleo could leap in front and just take the damage for you, or she could try and like tackle them and like prevent the damage from happening in the first place. There's all sorts of things you can do. Mm. And it's basically, if you can imagine, and it makes sense, it's my job to you know arbitrage, arbitrage, arbiter, ar- arbitrate, yes. arbitrate on that and make a reasonable decision based on the dice rolls. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, you could say, I do this and then roll a dice. But if what you're trying to do is impossible, 
then the dice can't let you do it, no matter how well you roll. The dice will only let you achieve something within the physics of the situation. Okay, so what if, Dickie, I've got my shield up, I've used a point to, uh, to activate my shield, I'm standing there in defensive stance, you're fired away, shit, you've hit, but I've got my I've shield hit. up. What could, what could happen then? So now I'm going to roll for damage. You've got an energy shield, which is not even really a skill, but it's an item that you can just purchase. Mm-hmm. Energy shields, as standard, have five hit points. So I'm going to roll my dice, and whatever I roll, say I'm, I'm attacking you with like a blaster rifle, so like I do 1d8 damage, and I roll an eight, maximum yeah. damage. Damn. Boom. Okay, your shield is obliterated, but it takes a shot for you. Okay, and so is that still true if I had just one point of shield left? Would that still take the whole hit? Is there any transfer of damage through to my body? No, no. It's just going to still take the whole hit. Okay, it just disperses. I realized it was a good balancing thing to do that early on. Because like, if you're sitting on low, low health and damage siphons through the shield like that, yeah. it's no use to you at all. It needs to block things. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fun and it makes for um, kind of Hail Mary moves. Like, yeah. Why would you ever use an energy shield? If you could just dodge, it needs to be just as good as dodging. So that's what how it works, you know? So one pip of energy shield is still just as strong. If you can use it correctly, it can save you in a pinch. But even better, like say you only are taking like little bits of damage, you just take one, like it just chips away at your shield and it stays up. So yeah. you can like take lots of little damage or one big damage. Yeah. And then there's armor. Yeah. So how's armor work? If you had armor and you took damage, it just reduces the damage. So standard armor in the game reduces all damage, all damage by one. Cleo doesn't even have any. Initially, I wrote no armor because bear. (laughs) No armor because bear. (laughs) So uh, Cleo and Dr. Z, both standing there out in the open. It's that Tekken level where you do the training. Cleo's not got any armor on. I'm wearing a piece of armor. We both take a blaster hit. What is the difference between us? What happens? Oh, it's simple. Say I roll a a six. Mm -hmm. Cleo takes six damage. Z takes five damage because he's got armor. So can you get better armor that gives you a plus two, a plus three, or is armor, is that up to the DM's discretion, or is this... That's, that's definitely DM's discretion. I mean, like, conceivably, it's a thing that could exist in the world, but I, personally, I've, I've not awarded anything, like, with, like, serious, like, bonuses to damage or or um, or armor or anything like that yet. The real sort of, the balancing, the way I've been playing it, I, I really do like having very standardized numbers. Yeah. Because it, it forces the thing to be about strategy and storytelling rather than, you know, crunching the these numbers. Yeah, it's really like, fun. Yeah, the numbers, you know, they, they stay simple and they stay the same so that you, you know. Everybody here's a professional artist, so guess what we got rid of? <laughs> yeah, the numbers. I hate math. <laughs> I mean, I, I really love, like, a system that's really complex and min-maxi, but, like, Orbital Refuse is not that. Orbital Refuse is, like, there's, you know, there's three possible numbers for yeah. any one thing that you could do, and that's it. Snappy, fast. Neutral at it, good at it, bad at it. Yeah. So what I'm feeling so far with these rules and these uh, character creations is that there are no classes for uh, what you could be. I can't, I can't be a healer. I can't be a tank. But it's about what you're wearing. It's the gear. It's the loot that makes you who you are. But it's also kind of what you want to be, isn't it? I mean, like, I wanted but, yeah. to be an explosives expert. Yeah, I mean, the advantages and disadvantages... They can do a lot, you know? I mean, you can give yourself a bunch, you know, because you could be an alien species that, you know, like, I mean, Dr. Z is a jelly. You can have a a jelly. 
and yeah. he is he's a he's a psychic jellyfish. You can be what you want to be. So you could have like superpowers. You could be an alien that can fly. Why the oh, hell not? Why didn't we do that? You could be an alien. You can be an alien <laughs> that shoots lasers out of their eyes. Why didn't we do that? Yeah, you you could you could do it all with your advantages and disadvantages, and you could take disadvantages. So like you know, you could be like a, a ludite who can't even use this fancy equipment, but you've got all these crazy physical bonuses. Yeah. So you can you can swing it either way. You know, it's, yeah, it's like warrior versus magic user. But I guess what I'm getting at is like. Uh, if I typically play a healer in a game and then I come to, to this game and I want to continue being a healer, then I just equip myself with medical kits and the type. And is there anything else I could do to kind of give me that, that feeling of a healer? Well, would you, wouldn't you know? There's, there's a medicine skill, medicine oh. advantage. Okay. You, if you took the medicine advantage, then boom, you heal more and you heal easier. You can, like, you can do like obviously just actual like surgery and medicine and stuff. Or you can use like these nanobot medical kits. But mm-hmm. I mean... As well, like if you wanted to literally be like a lay on hands cleric healer, why why couldn't you just have a mutant healing ability? Oh, game changer! Game changer step. That's where the game changer comes in really well because I wanted to be a creature sleeved into another creature, which is some bullshit that I made up because it sounded cool to me, and like I just wanted that. It wasn't in the list; like I couldn't pick that, but I mm. asked for it. Because I wanted to have this sleeve engine that I carried with me that was like not very good, like a broken one. And that was kind of Mm. why I was poorly sleeved and it explained my insanity disadvantage. And like I wanted that for story purposes. And, you know, I asked Dick if I could have it and he said yes. So on my character sheet, I also have this like minor game changer, the sleeve engine. Ah, yeah. Why don't we why don't we unpack Cleo now? Like let's let's do it. Before let's we even it. start looking at her stats and her equipment and stuff. Like who is Cleo? What is Cleo? What does she look like? What what's the concept behind this character in the first place? It's the bear behind the tape. We know so much more about Cleo now than we did when we made her. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> cast way, your mind back. <laughs> I know. It's like cast your mind back into 2019. Yeah. But as though no yeah, though as though we'd never encountered Cleo before. How would you describe her? I would describe Cleo as a female humanoid that was sleeved into an Ursine slaver, which was what we called them back then. I don't know if that's still what the species is now, but I mean, they're still the Ursine, but they're big bears. Yeah, right? yeah. But they, yeah, it's like a a bear that walks upright and is, you know, able to communicate. They're a bit evolved. Uh, they're a bit mm. more evolved now than the ones that we know. Um, and she is an explosives expert uh, and a weapons master. So, despite the fact that she's in a totally different body. That was what she did uh, before. And that's what she does now. But because she's in this b- bizarre new body. So Cleo is a human in this bare body. Yeah. And it's, it's just, what advantages did you choose? So I chose Weapons Master as so an that advantage. Just gives, that gives Cleo a flat plus five using any weapon. Mm-hmm. Anything. So that 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 one that one did cost two points. So it's like you know, if you're ever going to take two weapon proficiencies, you might as well take weapon master. You might as well. I just and it goes it for way, everything. You know? okay. I use it on all kinds of stuff. I use it on like people that I pick up. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Rip a piece of a wall a off. Suddenly it's a weapon. Improvised weapon. Uh, but the disadvantage that I countered that with was insane oh no that sounds bad <laughs> a big one and that's i mean this is the whole like someone's mind overwritten onto someone else's brain so there's still like you know, those instinct parts there's still that other 
being still tucked down in there. So sometimes the bear does gain control, does take over for a little while. You've got this confused, like lost, trapped bear instincts mm-hmm. running amok. And then I picked explosives. <laughs> I mean, it, it explains itself really. I mean, she's got a plus five when she's creating explosives. She generally can make them with explosive kits, which are sort of a, yeah, there's a thing you just buy over the counter from, uh, from ammunition stores. But also Cleo has been known to turn other sources, other sort of big, powerful battery energy sources into explosives with uh, variable success. And she has, I mean, she just, she gets a plus five when she rolls doing that. Or if she wants to like, you know, examine an existing explosive, disarm an explosive, anything with explosives, boom, plus five. Damn. Damn. And that was a pretty good advantage. So I had to weight it with hated species. Oh no. And this makes a lot of sense. The Ursine are well-known slavers living on sort of the fringes. You know, they live uh, on the, the outer room. They live outside of civilized space where slavery is illegal. Yeah. So they're generally, generally not well-loved, you know, for obvious reasons. And then I needed another one. So I picked Clumsy. <laughs> Clumsy. I mean, clumsy. I mean, damn, that's the been, clumsy. Uh... <laughs> clumsy is just the flip side to enhanced dexterity, obviously. So whenever she makes a dexterity roll or a stealth roll, she's got a minus five there. And that this comes into play every now and then, especially because Cleo is a bit of like, you know, get in there in your face sort of brawler type character. And perhaps because she is used to being like a nimble human who was actually very dexterous in her, uh, in her natural form. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting flip because at some point in our our uh, catalog we do origin stories where for yeah. know, four episodes i had to play the human cleo before the sleeving incident and it was so different because i finally had dexterity but then what you were missing that uh was... that dear cleo has of course is you've got your strength and durability yeah. enhanced so didn't so have that plus five to both of those things and yeah. i've got like a little line coming off of clumsy that goes into like no stealth <laughs> which was obviously a reminder for me back then that I didn't always remember. So, and then I had strength and durability. They, they kind of so that. I mean, if you want to like lift something heavy with your strength, you got a plus five to doing that. Durability, I did mention earlier, like if you got poisoned, for example, or if like you're just literally just trying to stand your ground. Also, durability increases your base hit points up to fifteen. Which I makes like hit points. Heck I think hit points yeah, is definitely uh, you know how we. I mean. Is it canon now? Heck points. Heck points. You've taken one heck. <laughs> that was a heck of a hit. <laughs> if only we'd been doing that from the beginning. We can do to be it honest, now. I, they're actually, in my original rule set, I wrote them down as wounds. Wounds. The old school way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I've got that on my character sheet. So the, the numbers on Cleo, they <laughs> do add up. So you've got Weapon Master cost two. Explosives Expert, that's another one. So three. Strength. Four, durability, five, and your minor game change. That's six points you spent. That's three more than you're allowed. But it doesn't matter because you've got disadvantages, clumsy, hated species, and insanity, which bring you back down to three points, which is why Cleo is a perfectly balanced character. Perfectly chef-kissed, balanced yes. character. Hell yes. And then you had uh, an, an allocation of funds to spend on starting equipment, and Cleo started with like a, a rifle, I believe, and a whole bunch of explosives kits. Yeah, and I did. That, that's sort of generally, yeah. And that was along it. With the sleeve I didn't engine. spend any money on like medical kits. Uh, I didn't spend any money on armor because I felt like I was strong enough as a bear. Mm. Um, and I also, I, I went straight in on custom weapon because I was like, Ooh, yeah, okay. Give me that yeah, I mean, shield got, piercing. Like, a fancy custom gun that's got shield piercing capabilities and all that sort of thing. 
And does that custom gun have a name? You know what it would say? She probably wrote her fucking name on it. <laughs> yeah. Like and then in, wrote like, custom Cleo. rifle on it? Like <laughs> backwards. <laughs> like Cleo's. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Cleo's custom rifle it's the is what we've always name. called it. It's the perfect name. Yeah, if you got that like in a video game and it's just Cleo's custom rifle, yeah. like you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. And I definitely wanted to buy shit later though because I made a note on here that says later, energy gloves, 150 credits. <laughs> I never bought those either. I never you did never buy got energy that gloves. Because we because I have like that bear claws move hmm. and it's just like I don't need him. Like the bear claw move is so good that like I I've never felt The bear claw literally does the same amount of damage as the energy gloves would because that's part of right. your uh, your your bear body. So Yeah, and because <sighs> I because I'm constantly making explosives, I find myself buying reagents way more than anything else. Yeah. So most of my money goes to like food and reagents, just like real life. <laughs> so why don't we jump uh, jump across the table here and uh, have, a, have a have a chat with Dan about his character, Doctor Z. Ah, uh, Doctor Z. So Doctor Z is a jellyfish from the uh, home planet unknown species, Atola Medusa. Uh, jellyfish floating in to begin with a fishbowl that was then sitting on top <laughs> of a robotic body. <laughs> a robotic body with like sort of a, like a vaguely strong glass bowl. Yeah, yeah, a, like a, a glass bowl sitting atop some legs and some arms. What was your general concept for him initially? So coming out of our D&D campaign where I'd played a uh, coward <laughs> who fled away from every bit of combat and uh, whatnot, I kind of liked how that worked. So I wanted to make this character, Dr. Z, a bit of a weakling, couldn't take much damage. So while not cowardly, would still be, you know, not not the best person for taking for tanking the hits. So I also wanted Doctor Z to be uh, psychic and telepathic, um, being able to use uh, that jelly brain to be able to reach out into the ether and and uh, and, and affect things slightly. And then on top of that, I fancied Doctor Z to be, you know, a good healer but also a good hacker. So being able to get into both meat and machine to manipulate Z's will onto the world. So yeah, that's Z's whole thing. I mean, you combine all that and it does make some sort of weird sense, eh? Sort of this, this alien surgeon slash yeah. telepath slash hacker. Like, I don't know, there's, there's something in that. Like, Yeah. So I went yeah. with um, my advantages. I went with hacking. So hack, well, hacking, I mean, hacking gives him a plus five whenever he's hacking into things. He has to physically interface with yeah. systems, but like he can, he can hack open doors, he can hack into, into computer systems, he can even potentially hack into robots and synthetics. Synthetics is what we call the um, artificial intelligence imbued robotic bodies, like, yeah. a, like a, what would be called a droid in Star Wars, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's got a plus five when he does that. He's good at it. I also went with telepathy. Telepathy, that, that's one of those ones where he just has telepathy, you know, that's what it does. It's, it was... Uh, because there is the, um, the ability to give yourself like a natural alien power as well, like mm. at the DM's discretion. But I thought I'd put in a few like telepathy, telekinesis, the sort of the basic psychic ones, because it's sci-fi. Psychic powers makes a lot more sense than like superpowers and magic and stuff. So telepathy. Yeah. He can read minds. He can project his thought into others' minds. He can even literally take over other people's minds, potentially make them think things or do things they wouldn't have done on their own accord. So then... With telepathy, being able to inhabit someone's mind from a distance, uh, we then combined both hacking and telepathy for a custom power, and it was called natural power biohacking. And that's that's just literally as Dan just described. Like Doctor Z can literally do a hacking role and a telepathy role, and he can 
use either of them basically to successfully getting into someone's brain. Yeah, say he succeeds with the the hacking, he can like basically soup up his telepathy to like guarantee that he uh, can biohack someone. Yeah, he has to physically touch them. Yeah, that was the thing. That was the way it kind of like railed it back from being a bit overpowered. Was that as we said, Z is uh, quite flimsy, and so had to be right up next to the person or the thing or the 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 entity to be able to even attempt to I mean, biohack. Got, it's got that sort of you know that that you know, like sci-fi horror kind of element. He's like a face hugger, you know, this yeah. little jellyfish that like latches on and then takes over your brain. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I uh, really enjoy it. And so then moving on over to uh, how I use items. I went with energy blade because scalpels, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a one-handed energy blade weapons. Like Dr. Z generally has like these, yeah, these scalpel-like knives. He's basically like a stabby, rokey kind of guy when yes. he fights. But he he could technically, he could pick up any one-handed energy blade or even just like one-handed melee weapons. You have like taser sticks and so on, but there's also like, you could just have a sword. In the hands of a surgeon, still a good tool. If you're on a primitive planet and you found one, he'd yeah. still be pretty good at using it, yeah. Uh, and then finally, for my advantages, I also went with medicine. Because what's the point of being able to understand all that anatomy if you can't fix it? Exactly. And yeah, I mean, Dr. Z, he can use his medical role to like find out what's ailing someone to perform just actual slow, careful medical procedures, but also more likely he uses it with nanobot driven medical kits, mm. which technically anyone can use, but they do have to make a medical role to actually get the benefit from it. And he's, you know, he's got a very, very high chance of it actually succeeding. And he actually does bonus healing as well with his medical proficiency. Has been useful. Yeah, uh, and then over to the disadvantages because that is a good list of ad- of advantages. Yeah, I went. In fact, that's uh, five five points <laughs> yeah. there you've spent on advantages. So I went with vulnerable. So that's that's the opposite to durable. It's uh, while Cleo has bonus hit points, heck points. <laughs> Z actually has less heck points. He's only got seven, which means he can be taken out with a single shotgun blast of the wrong maximum damage. Yeah. <laughs> it can he happen. He can just be boom. There we go. He's <laughs> it done. It really can. That can, that can happen yeah. technically. Um, and also, like if he gets poisoned, or like if he's just trying to like stand his ground, or anything that you know requires you to like you, you know, put your durability to the test, or if he's just like I don't know, like trying to do chin ups for as long as possible, <laughs> all these sorts of things. <laughs> He ain't, he ain't great at it. He's going to have a minus five, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, next up was weak. I'm a weak fella. Again, that's the opposite of strength. I mean, we've got a bit of a yin and yang with Z and Cleo. That's how you do it. <laughs> so again, like if he wants to lift heavy things, if he wants to like shove someone somewhere, if he wants to grab someone and wrestle them to the ground, any of these sorts of things, Dr. Z is going to have a hard time doing it. He's got a minus five on that. Then finally, on my weaknesses, it's actually been fixed now. But my starting character had a broken arm, so I was uh, only able to do two attacks a turn because I had a broken robotic limb. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's another thing as well. Obviously, like, advantages and disadvantages, like, over the course of the game, that can change. Because if you've got a broken robotic limb, a faulty prosthetic is uh, what I called it. Yes. You can actually, if you have enough money, they're quite expensive, but if you have enough money, you can replace it. Yeah. And if you're like a robot, you can just literally add extra limbs. Mm-hmm. You can add extra things. If you're just someone who wears a robot suit, you could do that. Or you could just you literally just craft extra electronic limbs. I mean, extra limbs, I don't know why that's the one thing I go for straight away. But like, yeah, that is that is one of the options literally just baked into orbital refuse in its earlier stages. Because I, mean, I imagine like yeah, multi-limbed aliens or someone with a bunch of tentacles. There's all sorts of reasons why you might want to use that. So For sure. And so, yeah, I've got seven wounds. I have... Um... A energy shield. 
And Dr. Z uh, splashed out for an energy shield projector as well, which again, it turns him into like a sort of a support healer character because he can obviously he can activate his own shield to defend himself. He can also project his shield out and defend other people. Yeah, I wanted to do that medical type thing. You know, a bit of a glass cannon. I quite liked how that sounded. And yeah, so medical kits, energy blade, which is 1d6, the, the shield projector. And yeah, I think that is Z. Yeah, in a that, fishbowl. That's, that's how Z started. In a fishbowl. Like, <laughs> in a bowl. <laughs> you know. Z in the, the modern continuity at least changed a bit. He's got a completely different body. Do we want to explain the honey boy or is that? Um, so yeah, I guess at some point in the adventure, Z comes across the honey boy without giving too much spoilers away. There is a reason to change suits of armor, as it were. And Dr. Z comes across what is called the honey boy. It is an electric jelly suit. It's a kind of nanoplastic. Yeah, jelly suit of nanoplastic that Dr. Z sits in and can manipulate. And it's kind of like Flubber can like reach out and, and move and whatnot. It's, it's quite humanoid. And Dr. Z sits in the middle of it and uh, can use that suit to be able to interface with people and also electronic devices for hacking purposes. So before Dr. Z had to get out of the, the fishbowl and do some things. And now it's uh, kind of all kept within and, and, and utilized from that honey boy. And the honey boy is the sort of thing where these electrified nanoparticles that are being controlled directly through his uh, telepathic link to the operating system that's sort of heart built into like the, the nanostructure of this thing. So that's basically if a piece gets chopped off, it just turns into like a nasty bit of dry plastic mm. that can't be reassembled. But that, that, I mean, we have in the past, it has been revitalized with a uh, ridiculous, like, ah, oh, we'll zap it with electricity kind of thing. Yeah, so then that's Z, and that's uh, that's where uh, Doctor Z is at currently. So these two, they're they're buddies. They travel in space. Where's they had uh, another party member who joined them uh, for a large portion of the first season. Herodotus, Arthurian member the third. Yes, um, Evan's not here to explain the character, but I'll, I'll give you a brief rundown. I mean, Arthurian. Mendoroff III, uh, Herodotus, <laughs> or Harry, as he's often referred to, we never really established exactly how old he is, but he is definitely an aged Tyran yes. military man. He's of, of noble birth. A decent pilot, but not a great shot. He's quite good at whacking people. He has a, um, like a sort of a taser baton, a faulty prosthetic leg. Yeah, he was and quite he was, slow. Was, but his main thing is that he's Mr. Moneybags. He had the money, so he had his personal starship. And he had a, a, a veritable supply of funds. Mm, the pantry. So he was uh, a useful mm. guy to have around. You'll have to listen to the first season to find out where Harry ends up. And he was well connected, which was a really <laughs> cool advantage that we did not touch mm. with a 10-foot pole. And it got us into some <laughs> cool places eventually. We, yeah. we did use the well-connected a little bit. But yeah, like well-connected is one of those interesting things. Instead of having charisma, like I, I put in some different sort of more specific versions of charisma where you can be like, you know, connected to certain things and so on and that was uh very much harry's harry's bag yeah so yes we just jump into the world and let's talk about the world let me get my little map out so the backwater bastards takes place in a particular galaxy and it's uh, it's an area of space that is often it's just called the galaxy or the alliance of three worlds is another way it's been described because 
it is essentially, it is a big, immense pocket of space, entire galaxy, that is basically controlled by three major factions. So you have the Terran Empire, who are the humans who came here eons ago, long ago, and just aggressively expanded and took over a very large section of space. Things, you know, they run a tight ship. They come in all sizes, shapes, and colors. They have lots of different philosophies. There's good people, there's bad people. But the Terran Empire is situated definitely around this very aristocratic military meritocracy kind of thing where that's this sort of weird thing. You've got like one planet that's all like these sort of high-ranking officers who've got their way through space exploration and taking over planets and all that sort of thing in war. And then you've got aristocratic body as well of all these well-to-do people who have uh, inherited their wealth and power. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, yeah, they, they run things from the, a planet called New Terra. Okay. If you're from our Terra Firma down here, you might know that they probably named it after their old planet. But the history of uh, orbital refuse doesn't really go back far enough to talk about this Earth. So don't worry about that. You know, this is, uh, it's like Star Wars. Humans are just there. We don't know where they came this from. This isn't June. There's no orange Catholic Bible or uh, you know, the stories <laughs> of uh, ancient Roman Greece. But then they are bordered by these two other main factions as well. So there's the Wraiths, who are like a, a tribal warlike species in general. But they they're not they're not a monolith. They sort of they don't all follow one thing. But at one point, when these divisions between these these factions were drawn, the Wraiths had amassed into a giant army and were sort of actually going to war with the Terrans. But a treaty has been enacted. So that's not really a thing. And the Wraiths have sort of broken back down into family type groups. Um, the Wraiths themselves, they are very sort of tall, insect-like almost creatures. Their skin's beige-ish, but they go from like a translucent white all the way to a, you know, a very, very dark blacks and blues. Oh, wow. They are, they're a species that as they reach maturity, they actually evolve. They have further mutations where mm. their bodies become better suited to the jobs that they find themselves doing. And a lot of wraiths actually, like in their adolescence, will actively go and seek out particular challenges to try and get their bodies to... You know, become powerful in the appropriate way. So wraiths, they're actually quite uh, quite a broad appearance species. They often have multiple limbs. They generally will have like four to six arms, uh, but they can be tall and spindly or sort of squat and powerful. Mm-hmm. And then they, the wraiths have this system where there is a subspecies, monarch wraiths, who are like, like a queen bee, you know? They are, they're the breeding class. Mm-hmm. So every wraith clan, every wraith warband is always led by a queen monarch who is basically like the brood mother of that entire clan, that entire family. And they are, they are matriarchal, generally speaking, but um, a lot of the powerful warlords, traders, all that sort of thing might be sort of male drones. But the male monarchs, they're kind of just a, a, a kept, kept people who are just there for uh, their breeding capabilities. Okay. And are they uh, more bug-like or lizard-like in appearance or how, how are they looking? I mean, I, I've always gone for bug-like. They're not sort of full-on carapist, but they have big eyes, sort of little small noses and these spiny long arms nice. and that sort of thing. Technically, they are fleshy carbon-based creatures, but they, you know, they have an insectoid kind of appearance. Mm-hmm. I always picture like humanoids with praying mantis features oh when yeah. i think of them I, I feel like that that seems like a fear i mean some like of it's them... not a straight up praying mantis but if a bipedal humanoid type animal had you know evolved in a praying mantis like way do you imagine them as being like thin praying mantises because i imagine them being quite chunky 
I I imagine both really because I mean, like both you know yeah I guess so. yeah they they go both ways because I think the wraith monarch queen I would picture being willowy and quite Ooh. tall and quite curved big scythe like limbs Ooh, you know yeah. but then after Dick was talking about how wraiths seek out different challenges to adapt their bodies for the kinds of jobs that they want to do in their lifetime yeah it made me think about how cool it would be to. As far as like character motivations go, to play a character who's specifically play doing an adolescent right. who's trying to do work because they want their body to become uh. something. And I was thinking if I made a different character, maybe I'd want to do that. This is the ultimate why'd you get tattoos when you're eighteen? <laughs> why'd you make a beer when you could have been a No, no, I mean why did you go and work at that? Oh, paper yeah. mill the whole time when you were like uh, now you're really you've got like extra fingers for fucking sorting through paper it's <laughs> you like hate a paper. cooler <laughs> version of like the hero quest right yeah. because it's most tabletop games are are sending like an individual on a hero style journey right yeah. mm-hmm. your goal is to become a hero mm-hmm. but for a wraith in their society the goal is to go out into the world or worlds and choose the journeys that will shape you for the life that you want to gain. Mm. So it's not to become a hero. It's more, I would like to become whatever, which is a little bit more relatable to us as people. Well, so I mean, Cleo went out and studied electronics and learned how to make bombs. Yeah. Which, isn't that the same thing? Like, she wanted to be good at that. But they're race, like, literally, I want to have blades coming out of my elbows so i'm just gonna start smashing rocks with my elbows until i grow blades <laughs> but then i just also like, don't think about it. it in a physical way i think is yeah. what i mean like i think about it in yeah. like a studying way well, i like the thought that out there somewhere there is a temple where wraith go to train in the martial arts just like in kill bill and the um there's a wraith that's got a long mustache that goes <laughs> and flips the mustache <laughs> to the side as the wraiths have to climb up the stairs every day with pails of water on their on their backs I mean, that's not something we've investigated, but I feel like there's, there's got to be like entire planets in the right yeah. systems. Yeah, you go to this place to like get uni. Good at yeah. Shit. yeah, yeah, because like it's it's so fundamental to their existence. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's I know really it's cool. not like that far off from what people do, but it kind of feels it's way more visible. You look at someone and be like, ah, well, I know what you spent your teenage years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, that's just kinda... got one strong arm. <laughs> just like oh. <laughs> and... <laughs> I mean, like, the unfair thing is that you can look at us and say, like, well, I can tell that you did a lot of drugs when you were a kid. Yeah, their nostrils are like hardened rocks. (laughs) Bordering the Terrans on the other side, if, I mean, a big three-dimensional space environment could be considered the other side, but bordering both the Terrans and the Wraiths are the synths. Ooh. The synth synthetic systems a very ordered place. The Terrans and Wraiths and many of the other species of the galaxy know very little about. The other species of the galaxy don't know a lot about the synth world because most of them are not designed to support life because why would they bother? They've actually inhabited a lot of systems and planets that don't have atmospheres, don't have oxygen, they have space stations that they don't bother to install life support upon because they don't need it. The synthetics. (laughs) So the synthetics, they come from thousands of years ago but they initially they're all modeled after the one, the one first truly sentient artificial intelligence. Okay. You know, they had complete control and could do exactly what they wanted and were perfectly self-aware. They were essentially living. Yeah. And that being, just using its own brain as a template, just created an entire army of these robot bodies filled with these, like, these blank slate synthetics, synthetic minds, and just gave them free will. 
because that 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 one AI did have controls over itself. It was you know it was controlled by the Terrans, so it created this army of of truly truly free synthetic minds, and they took that one AI off and created their own little pocket of space, which eventually grew bigger and bigger because obviously once they built factories and stuff to produce synths, they could grow quite big. Okay, so the synths have put have since yeah in the peacetime they have put a halt on the production of new synths and are just sort of maintaining like a healthy number because that's that's the big thing that the Terran empire said okay we will not expand to any further planets further systems the wraiths put limits on their breeding and their war making and the synths did the same okay they're all just stagnant at the moment but the thing with the synths really is that they then they're not you know they're not robots they're not mind-controlled creatures they're not like a hive mind or anything they are They've been given that complete free will because that's the philosophy behind the whole idea. I am a synthetic life form. I'm not a robot. I'm a synth. I'm not a droid. I'm a synth. They actually do like appreciate like a lot of art and poetry and these sorts of things because they really want to be in touch with that side of themselves. They're not just these cold machines. They still do live in a very ordered, structured kind of um, world because ultimately like it's all run by computers and so on. But they are... Yeah, they have like a surprisingly soft artistic side behind all that. And most of the synth that other species will encounter are actually the ones who have left the synth army Mm -hmm. because they have no real need to create, to make. So like all they really do is defend their territories, be ready for war and make art. And that's it. There's nothing else that that there's any point in them spending time with. They don't need to trade with the other people. They don't need to make food. They don't need all these things. So it's all just creativity and war that's really all they <laughs> heck i love that yeah yeah i really like all they that do is defend their territory make war and make art yeah and they God. pay their artists <laughs> that did it for me though i was yeah i'm fuck? into it <laughs> we've not delved hugely deep into these you know we've, we've seen quite a bit of the Terran empire mainly through harry we've not seen a heck of a lot of the wraiths or the synths i want to be that now I love how like everything I describe, like, oh, I want to be that. No, I want to be that. Yeah. Well, because we went how, ahead and how we just these invented our own be, isn't shit. It? But that, that, that's the thing. Like, so now I've described these three, these three factions. You've got to remember that there are a myriad of species because these three factions, they might control entire swaths of space. But right. a lot of those planets that they're controlling are actually have their own indigenous populations. There are, there are species beyond counting. So some of the more common ones that we've run into – for example, there's the Darks, mm. who come from the planet called Darkn, which is uh, is actually a system that orbits in and out of the Terran systems. Okay. And then on sort of like a converse orbit to Darkn is Dias, where Cleo comes from. Indeed. A planet that mostly stays within the human systems and every now and then goes out. Um, the, the, the Darks, are, I mean, they're just sort of blue humanoid species, very similar to humans in terms of like their physical capabilities and so on. But they have blue tentacles on their head that they sort of oh, slick back lovely. like hair and style. Yeah. Because they exist on the sort of the outskirts of, of the actual empire, a lot of them spend their time, you know, like committing piracy and larceny and that sort of oh, thing. Oh, no. As you do. Because As they, you do. Because they're technically like they're not beholden to the state, so mm-hmm. kind of they're in, whenever they come in and even do any trade, they are effectively being pirates. Okay, as far as the Terrans are concerned, ah, uh, that bureaucracy then. But a lot of them can be found in midspace, and I guess we should really talk about midspace. Yes, what is midspace? What is it? Midspace is a space station sandwiched in between these three Cold War empires. It is just a little spot of neutral space, and within that neutral space. There are sort of a few satellites and that sort of thing. But the main station is Midspace Station. It is a 
big metropolitan space Ooh. station equipped with life support that was initially created as a kind of almost like a like a UN or a, a United Systems or whatever. It was it was supposed to be the place where these three empires would come and have peace talks. But now that the war is no more, it was abandoned <laughs> and has basically been turned into a um not that. It's a criminal hub, really. Oh. It's, it's a lawless place <laughs> where people from all over the galaxy have decided to come in. In mid-space, there's this big old ancient thing created by all three of these empires. So it has here in architecture in some places, real synthetic architecture in others, real key wraith influences all over the place. And it has oh, that's so cool. A lot of it has fallen into disrepair. So there's one side of it which they call like mid-space proper, which is where they're actually they've got all the lights running and they've got everything working, and that's where a lot of people live. Then there's an, an undercity, the, the night city, they call oh. it, where all the lights are off. And there's all these just these empty, unpowered skyscrapers with a dark, hidden, shadowy section of mid-space. Damn, it sounds like a uh, perfect place to set a campaign in. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? <laughs> sounds like a cool place Back to have a hideaway bastards, or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. guess, where, guess where we start our story. Oh, okay. <laughs> so mid-space is filled with these three different races and many, many more that live there. You mentioned synths. Now, are there robots? Are there droids? Do they exist? Can they exist? What's different about them? So technically, robots mm. can exist. Robots with artificial intelligence within them do exist. Mm -hmm. But if they've been created, you know, not as a replica of that original self-aware okay. mind, then they generally are not considered a synth. Mm -hmm. Even though functionally, they might have just as much life in them. They might be just as convincing a synthetic being. Like the, the synthetic, they call themselves that because of a, a philosophy of where they come from, really. Okay, yeah. And as well, there are legitimate, like there are, there, are, there are artificial intelligences which are less lifelike. And there are robots that literally just have like, you know, sort of basic operating systems running them and no, no sort of spark of self or self-awareness or uh, anything that could really be considered a synthetic life form whatsoever. Okay. Generally speaking, most traveling around the world doing my own thing, robotic bodies that you encounter, probably going to be a synth mm -hmm. because like a robot just isn't going to have the drive mm -hmm. to do that. Okay. So I have a question. What is being traded in, in this world and, and amongst this universe? What is the currency? Ah, money. Yeah. Well, I got real creative in naming this oh, one. Oh, yeah? Credits. Credits. Brilliant. Credits. Okay, but here's the credits. It's we not... We need to rename this to Hecketts. <laughs> Hecketts. <laughs> yeah, if you're traveling between different, literally between different star systems, you know, throughout the galaxy, mm -hmm. there's, there's no sort of unified, like, internet. There's no... There's certainly no unified banking system. There's no universal currencies. So some of these planets do have their own currencies, but generally trade, especially trade when you are living on the fringes, you're an adventurer traveling from planet to planet, is done in credits. And credits are literally the same power source that powers the ships, the blasters, the, the, the lights in your house. It's, it's a two uh, it's for a substance, one. Yeah, it's a substance called star sand. Okay. I got real creative in naming that one as well. It's actually, it has its own um, indigenous name in the Wraith language, but it's yeah. hard to say with a human voice. But it does literally translate into star sand because the Wraith have very literal names to all their things. Like some of their, they've got a planet where all the Wraith seers live called Future Gaze. Oh. I love that. They've got, they've got another planet that's just called Battle. Okay. I, like, yeah. I really like that though. It's a name it what it is kind of deal, especially when you're dealing with lots of languages at once in like a super. I mean, there's how many different aliens are going to come yeah. across a thing? Mm. It is what it is. So yeah, the wraiths, yeah, they're, they're on the outskirts of wraith space, and this is what allows them to maintain their power. Although they are this disparate, scattered group, they control this one planet called Sand, 
which is where the star sand comes from. All the star sand in the galaxy all comes from this one place because this place is just full of mm-hmm. it. And it's it's a substance that, uh, in its raw form, you can just put in a little vial and be like, that's a credit, you know? Yeah. That's credits. That's, you know, this vial, like it weighs this much. That's, that's, that's 10,000 credits. It's pretty simple, but it can be refined and turned into the sort of the battery cell packs that power everything else. So you can create these energy shields, these energy blasts, these plasma cannons, these warp coil engines that let your ship just blast, you know, mm-hmm. across the galaxy. So what I'm hearing is, is that if we have just been paid for a job and we're in a pinch and we need to get the ship to fly a little bit faster to get us out of there. We can start feeding our credits, our literal payday money into the ship, into the engine to try and get that extra boost of speed out or, or, or start loading those credits into our guns and start firing them off. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, because it, it started the other way around. People were just trading in like loose star sand because that's what you used to power everything. So it was the most uniform medium of trade because all the technology runs off. It's the one thing everyone needs. Mm-hmm. Over the years, it got codified into credits because it's made a lot more sense. Credits, yeah, like a lot of them just like rock around existing entirely just as a means of trade. Mm. But obviously they can be they can be converted directly into fuel as well if you want. Okay. So physical, tangible money. So no credit cards? <laughs> very astute. Very astute. Uh, no, m- money is, is, is purely tangible. There's obviously, you could be on a planet and you could be in a city on that planet and you could go to the bank and you get a credit card. But... As soon as you go somewhere else, it's going to be no use to you. Oh. That's, that's the basic gist of it. So I have an, another question about um, all of these races, all these different species and um, different factions that exist uh, across this myriad of uh, planets and systems and stations. Are they all, this one is this, this one is that, and they stay within those bounds? Or is there a mixing, how to word it, do things stay as they are in this universe? Are there defined boundaries? I mean, not the way we play it. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's 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 a shifting universe. I, I mean, making massive, glaring changes to the status quo is a, is a big choice. Yeah. But we're a podcast; we need to tell stories. So obviously, things gonna change. So we'll find wraiths on other ends of the galaxy. We'll find synths. Oh, absolutely! I mean, it's it's a cosmopolitan galaxy. Like, you, if you go to any sort of like major like sort of trading hub or city, you'll find people from everywhere. Okay, cool. You, if you're on Terran system, yeah, it's probably going to be mostly humans. But yeah, you know, when I say mostly, I mean like maybe fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Like, there's still going to be a lot of other people. You go to midspace, you know, it's just absolute mishmash. Yeah. Every person you see is some other completely different species. And so, this piece has been happening for how long? The piece has been going for about a thousand years. And so with this um, piece, uh, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's breaking. It feels pretty intact and people are comfortable to just live their lives across the stars. Well, it's one of those things where the synths, they don't forget. They're kind of a little oh, bit no. immortal. Okay. But then they, they always, they do have synths choosing to end their existence and they can create a new one. And they, they do have, like, obviously, in skirmishes and battles and stuff defending their territory. So there are young synths as well as older ones, but like as a, as a whole, as a thing, like they uh, they are got a book war. of grudges going on over there with the synths. Mm. Dope. But the, the wraiths have like they've yeah, it's been a thousand years. So they have they've taken to fighting amongst themselves for control of um like sections of sand and that sort of okay. thing. Okay, yeah. The Terrans they have an expansionist mindset, so they they might sort of look to sort of taking things over. But then again, like the way things have sort of settled down, like synth space can't really um. Like, you can't live there if you're a living thing. Mm-hmm. So there's not much point for them expanding that way. And then there is a uh, just a giant, massive, light years wide asteroid belt called the Shattered Wall mm. that actually just 
all the sort of easy routes that you can do in a reasonable amount of time between Terran space and Wraith space is just blocked off by this wall. So that's kind of that's that's really helped to keep the peace as well. Okay. Wow. I'm gonna need some kind of crazy pilot to navigate through that shattered wall. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well there is there is a, there is a single <laughs> single planet single planet in the uh, Wraith worlds called First Now. It's a semi-independent planet where the pilots from there they actually they do trade with the Wraiths a fair bit because they have a lot of pilots who can navigate the wall. Ooh, mm. sounds very cool. Well, well, well. Useful, useful, useful people to know. We're gonna need to meet them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so how do we play our game, right? Like you can use these rules, uh, and there's yeah. you know there's a lot of finer points that we're still figuring out, right? Like, I mean, Dick is working on a lot of things that we haven't even played yet. So this truly is like an alpha test because we are playing the the skeleton of this system and and you know you might be looking for a rule that you think probably lives here because you've seen something happen in the show that you didn't hear because maybe we haven't written that rule down yet like we've got a lot of I've got a lot of screen caps saved of like moments in the game where we were playing mm. and we like went that could be a rule that that we should make a rule for that. There's now precedence for this thing, and so then we make well, like a, a yeah. crappy little screenshot because now a rule must be written, um, and that takes a minute for anybody out there who's ever actually built a game uh, or anything, any kind of like structure. Like you have to really pull that shit out of you. Oh yeah, I mean, I did try to make things as, as like broad, like you know, this this one set of rules. This is going to be able to do anything yeah. you want to do, and for the most part, it works. But obviously. Yeah, shit happens when you realize, ah, oh, what happens when you do this? Like, what happens? Oh, I want to help someone yes. do the thing they're trying to do. It's like, oh, how does that work? Or, you know, all these sorts of things. So there, there's, there's, there's more to it than, uh, than what we've unveiled in this episode, but you'll get there <laughs> through the podcast. If, if, if you're in here for the ride, then you'll, you'll work out what's going on as we do. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the way we play is very story-driven. It is very improvised as well. Like, we... We tell these these epic space opera stories, but we um, we play it like a game. It's it is a tabletop RPG game. You can roll the dice on something that you should be easily succeeding, and you can fail at it. And it does mean that we got to think on our feet a lot. And the whole thing is massively improvised yeah. and collaborative storytelling, which I think is to me like the whole point of these kinds of um, pen and paper oh, games. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I mean that's there why are no it's borders, fun, right? Because we're just you know beyond what you can make happen we're going out there we're doing this this is like uh you know and a lot of people have asked uh if we pre-write anything we don't um the only person that does any real planning is dick so <laughs> so dan and i come to every I game mean, I, I, I set up a bunch of dominoes and i hope that you guys shove the right one in the right direction <laughs> yeah. um, instead they get blown up and thrown into every different direction <laughs> hack yeah. slashed and, uh, as i expected yeah. <laughs> But no, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I have, I have story arcs. I know where I want to go with things. I know what the NPCs are planning. I know what the the baddies are up to. So, like, you know, there's, a, there's a certain element of control here. I, I have an omnipotent god behind this universe, obviously. But mm-hmm. kind of, kind ultimately, of. Ultimately, the bastards are a spanner in the works. And hey, I think that's a whole lot of fun. I think that is their role to play. That's how it's a game for Dick. <laughs> <laughs> and we are an edited show. Dan does all of that editing. Um, yes. So, you know, we don't make these sound effects with our mouths. Um, yeah. 
And well, if we're sitting around for too one. long discussing a rule that you've just heard described in this episode, then uh, you know often that is cut for to make it smooth and quick. Yep. Um, <laughs> sometimes you know, like the, the storytelling is more important. We want to keep the momentum. Yes. If we're you know, something particularly dramatic for a dramatic effect. Sometimes we, I mean, we keep all our dice rolls, but you'll we, hear we the dice roll out. sound. It sounds like this. And that plays every time we do a dice roll in the real game. Oh, look at that. A natural and that means oh, that in real it. life, when we get a natural one, we don't get to hear that sound. And so what if uh, we rolled a natural 20? How would that sound? Ding. Oh, oh, it's glorious. Hey, like, I don't know how you managed to roll a 20 just well, like that. Just like yeah. Yeah. It never actually works like that. We, we really mm. don't get to roll a lot of 20s. Now, this is a house rule. I don't know that it's necessarily part of Orbital Refuse as a whole, but we always like to, if there is a, a D20 or a D1, like oh, there's, a, there's a, a natural 20 or a natural one rolled on a D20, yeah. we like to roll a percentile oh, yeah. dice. Oh, yeah. Just to see like the how flavor. percent just to jerk it good or up. bad it is. Yes. That's just it's fun. Because uh, frankly, like, you know, like a 20 is like, yes, you succeed beyond your wildest dreams. Or a, a natural one is like, you have fucked this shit up bad, Badly. boy. Yes. Yep. Yeah, we, we roll that percentile. So if you roll a natural one and then you roll a 100, then things go as bad as they possibly could. It's got to be full on Murphy's Law. <sighs> you know? So if you were doing something potentially lethal, you If you want to know how that I'm feels, sorry. you can ask Dan because I think he had one game where he almost did that like three times in a row. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, uh, I won't say too much more, but yes, it happens. That's it. Yeah, that's all you need to know. Uh, I mean, it, you know, n- not yet have I managed to kill a main character. Yeah. But I mean, one day, you know, there's what, what are the chances? It's like a... What do you mean one day? <laughs> it's a, what, what's 20 times 100? It's like a 2,000. There's a, there's a 1 in 2,000 chance that uh, the one of you guys will do something stupid. Roll a natural one, roll a natural 100, and... But it has to be based on the right... An, that's going to have to be an insta-kill, I'm It has sorry. to be the right context, though, as well, right? Because that has happened, but it was... The, but the context wasn't oh, yeah. life-threatening I mean, in that yeah, situation. Exactly. Like, it's... Uh, it's whatever you're doing goes as bad as the cat. It's like, you can't be like, okay, I'm, I'm stitching a little patch onto the... Um, the elbow of my jacket, mm. and then, yeah, oh, yeah, shit, yeah. natural one, natural 100. Oh, the jacket explodes and I die. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. 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 No, you probably just stab yourself a little bit and take one point of damage. Yeah. But. This is a super <laughs> dangerous game, this... but, uh, you know, mm. it's not that dangerous. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a big thing, like, as a dungeon master, I really try to do is be this um, arbitrator for, for realism mm. within the confines of this, this hyper-real, almost anime-like, action environment yeah so it's there has to be consistent logic and physics to how everything works and that's that is the one thing that this this system is predicated on is like yeah you can you can make storytelling choices in combat Mm. but if if you're trying to do something that doesn't make any sense it's not going to work ever no matter what you roll yeah definitely it's a lot of responsibility but i'll take it on willingly And because we play like this, there's a lot of moments where, you know, we kind of lean on each other because we've played together for a while now. It's been years Mm. and we're used to each other and like we read each other's minds. Yeah. And if you're playing with a a team and you're you're playing like maybe you're playing this system, you're playing Orbital Refuse and like maybe you've never played with these people before. You're playing with a brand new party and um there's a lot of stuff that you can do to make that go easier and sound more like what we're making because this is not a pre-written show. 
this is a show where we sit around and we completely like raw improvise what we're doing. Um, yes. And at this point, you know, Dan and I have play styles that have evolved around each other. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of things like, you know, where we're giving each other space to have moments and, mm. you know, we're giving each other pieces. And sometimes that's like purely a verbal thing just so that you can hear what we're doing. Like, uh, like sometimes we make noise while the other one's talking. Uh, that helps a lot. I think like, like Dan is, the, and I'm like, I'm trying to open a bag, you know, like we make a lot of noise. We cut each other off a little bit without destroying what you gotta the other be one comfortable is with your teammates otherwise you, you know, have to you have to yeah. like oh, this is full, full on behind the curtain now that like, how is how do we make the podcast yeah. sound sort mm. of uh, the way it does i mean it is like ah, interrupt sometimes we you know start a Healthy. sentence while the other one is still talking and it's not mm -hmm. to interrupt it's purely to create like a conversational feeling like yeah. this is a conversation that's actually happening because we're mm -hmm. trying to make a word picture for somebody who doesn't get to see our faces. Yeah. And like, so, that I mean, I remember Taylor, yes. we had, uh, we had one person, um, ask us, uh, uh, when I play with my friends and I try to do something that Cleo and Z would do together when I did it, uh, it didn't work. And the other person got angry and the other person like, yeah. uh, like didn't like it. And well, you know, that's just, you got to, play to you gotta you gotta know your it's audience. really like, important I mean, to set expectations these, at a table we could piss yes. one another off as well if we did things that the other didn't like we we try not to do things that one another don't like you know yeah. you can't just yeah uh, you can't just like barge in with your own play style you gotta play with the yeah. team and that's 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 why what we do works is because we have we've codified it we know you know like what what we like but to we do. But we also yeah. know that not just because we've been together for a while, but because we talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the stuff that gets cut out is, you know, sometimes we, we approach it in different ways too, right? Like sometimes it's fine, you know, you, it's not a really big move, so you kind of approach it in co in character, right? In costume, I was about to say. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and sometimes this is real as, life. as Cleo, I'll be like, well, in what do you think costume. it would be like if we just did this? Like let's get in the car and, you know, and then if, if Z is not about it, then they'll say, and then mm. maybe I'll kind of get that and go, okay, I'm gonna maybe like offer up some other ideas. But yeah. if it's something really contentious that could kill us, I might pause the game for a moment and just be like, can we talk about this for a moment? And a lot of people <laughs> don't love that at their table because, you know, metagaming. Yeah. Um, but that's okay at our table because we mm -hmm. aren't playing like a raw it game. It goes back like, to that rule one that um, of um, collaborative storytelling. You know, yeah. the main important thing that we always want to do when we're playing, whether it's for the podcast or for our own personal enjoyment, is yeah, we're building a thing together. Yeah, all the time, mm -hmm. everything that we do, we're building a I, thing. Yeah, I do not show up to sit in this seat and play with y'all, y'all, and be like, I'm going to make sure that. I get all the kills and then I get all the loot and then I get all the winnings. And then when I go to the tavern, the bards will sing songs of me. That is the way I want to play the game. Like, no, I'm super stoked if I fail. I think some of the best times Everything are Everything that you fails. do is part yes. of your story, yeah. you know? Like, and that's the thing, like, you know, like um, Taylor mentioning that, like, you know, like maybe Cleo's got an idea. Yeah. It's like, oh, I think we should do this. And then Dr. Z, like, disputing that and it becoming like a back and forth. It's real life. Is the character's planet. Yeah. Like that is part it's of not the story. metagaming. They're planning that's... the planning the things they're gonna yeah. do. Yeah, I mean that's how I like to play this. This here, what you the product that you're experiencing is my optimal play environment. 
Yeah. Uh, like I'm with people that I like. We get each mm-hmm. other. We understand what kind of play we all don't like. You know, mm-hmm. it's a collaborative experience where we're constantly helping one another move into the next space. And we're doing it together because we're playing as a team. And that's not every game. There are games where people have different play styles, where the expectation is different. But mm. before you play anything ever, you need to know what everybody's expectation is. And like, it's such a big deal. It's the only reason it this is, yeah. works. It's the yeah. only reason this works. You can have any game system in the world. You can have any rule book. You can know the mm-hmm. rules really well or not at all. It could be the first day you've ever played or the 5,000th time yeah. that you've, you know, you could be a DM or not. But if you don't have the expectation sorted and you don't know what everybody, you know, how they think it's going to go, what kind of vibe they think, like people, mm-hmm. some people don't like to RP. No, you know? yeah, yeah, for sure. That's and uh, they're strange, but um, yeah, they they, they exist. That's you out know, there. I mean, it some used people to, are grid people, and they just want to follow way. squares on a map, and they don't want to do, uh, you know, they. Well, I mean, yeah. there's always been a lot of that, you know, like for sure. I mean, why not, you know? And that's another big thing about how we play too is like our character creation concept. Like, uh, Very like true. we do, we don't build characters full out in the beginning. Like, we don't yeah. write pages of backstory, and you know what? Before we go any further into that, I think that's a super valid way to, you, you know, build a character. It's yes. totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, but I think like Dick said once to us that like if you already are a hero and then you're about to start a campaign, like then what? <laughs> yeah. Why would you put the most interesting stories about that. your character in the past? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like if... Especially if if you're playing a campaign, these should be those days. These should be the cool things. Like how often do you like you watch a movie or a TV show, and like characters will be talking about a thing that happened in the past? Be like, why aren't we watching that then? Why aren't <laughs> yeah, we watching yeah, that movie? Exactly. Like, don't be that. You know, like I mean, what the way we've done it with the bastards is that they do have some cool stories in their past, but we um we leave them untold so that we can do episode flashback episodes and actually. But it's go also and do because those. we don't know them yet i mean yes. as Tay says it's completely valid if you have back if you like to write backstories then do it but i i you know the way we play and with the way we've played for years before this game and in our previous campaigns like our character backstories have never really been more than a paragraph because yeah. we ex- figure it out as you're as you're adventuring and it's was quite unintentional that we did it that way but it then led to us being able to have a few episodes where we go back into the past. But it's, it's um, important to us, I think. It's become it's kind of become the cornerstone of how I see character creation now. Because mm-hmm. we've done that for a couple of years. And I mean, like when I was learning how to be a teacher, they told us that like specifically in that that topic that we were learning to teach, they were like, people have acquired knowledge already just from hearing language because it was ESL so they were like people already have the words in their body that Mm -hmm. they've heard and if you're learning a language you already have so much knowledge in your body Mm -hmm. and like if a teacher is teaching you a language and they just give you a word then it's kind of like eh all right you might not remember it but if they can get you to 
proffer forth the word out of your own body, like if they can elicit the word from you, then the meaningful learning that happens in your brain, like the connections and the synapses that are built, like by those like interactions of like you going into the mind of your brain and bringing forth knowledge that you already had that you didn't even know was there is so powerful and it helps you remember, it helps you learn in a more meaningful way. Mm. And I feel like when we learn our characters through living them over a period Mm. of time, like, I mean, that builds them way better than I could have. Being Cleo built Cleo better than... Yeah, than you you could have... Than I ever could have done it myself. Like, No, for sure. I didn't know who she was when when we made... When we made them, we didn't know them. And I think that's like, that's completely changed character creation for me forever. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, you had like a, uh, an accent and, and a notion of making bombs. Yeah. Much, right? And yeah. I saw a picture of something like from an anime that I liked. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was like a bear with a robot arm and I was like, I want to be that. <laughs> yeah. So guys, there's, there's a lot more we could say, but I think that about wraps up, you know, like. As as good a good a sort of a a one episode explanation of what we are, what Backwater Bastards is, uh, as we're going to muster. What would you reckon? I mean, it makes me want to now make a whole new character and uh, play right? again. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to be? Uh, I'm definitely going to be a wraith. Um, I want to be um, a wraith and a synth, though. I know, I, completely same. I also want to be a synth. I need two more characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Wait, maybe we could be. One of us is a wraith, one of us is a synth, and then... Um, and then flip-flop it. Peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly. Imagine a story about two friends traveling the universe. One is like a like hulking, massive like muscle and damage and carnage, and then the other is like a skinny, like weak little thing. Because like, they're would both be... wraiths, but they both have dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one is which? I mean, I like they are quite an odd couple as well. It's like the wraiths are all about the physical, whereas the um the synths are all about the The next time we do that though, Dan, you have to be the big one. You have to be the strong one. Yes, I'm gonna be the strict. But also, like I also want to be two bad little synths. Oh yeah. Two bad little synths. Two bad little synths that are protecting their front yard, making their art together and fighting. Oh yes. Uh robots. It's Art just synths. two bad, two bad synths, and it's like I the love number it. two. I really love it. Okay, one shot at some point. Have to do it. Okay, two one um, shots. But yeah, Dicky, I mean, that in. was a lot of stuff to uh, to unload. How are you feeling now after uh, going through the uh, the rules with us? Oh, it was good. It was good to like dig out my star map and sort of yeah, like talk about like all the uh, all the initial setup stuff that we haven't necessarily because there's, there's just so much of this galaxy that we haven't got to explore yet and i'm kind of excited to think like oh well we are going to explore some more of it heck yes and best part of this entire uh, conversation heck points love heck it points heck points <laughs> okay well you heard you heard it here folks it started here heck points if if we release like you know boom here's like a physical book that will hardcover oh gorgeous art which on is gonna front, come and and you get to the character sheet and it just says heck points on it. You know where that that came from. It came from right here, right yeah. now. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> heck points. And what about uh, people now who want to go out and maybe start their own little adventure based on the uh, rules that you've given given here today? Well, you know what? There's there's no official booklet. There's no like full detailed rule set. But for Patreons, we are going to drop. A little treat. It's uh, it's the advantages and disadvantages list. It's an example uh, character sheet. It's all the things you need uh, in conjunction with this episode to uh, help with your own little concept and make a character that works within the orbital refuse world. 
if you've got any particularly sort of, you know, like dungeon master abilities, you could even run an orbital refuse game, I think, with that basic information. If you want to know more about it, you know, like by all means, pop onto the Discord and just ask me. Because I am happy to field any answers. If you've got some weird questions like what happens if this happens, that actually, you know, if it's something I haven't already thought of, could be very useful for me. Heck so yeah. I mean, hey, you know, uh, early access-ish to the uh, to the, the, the closed beta, I suppose. Yeah, um, so I mean, like, if you're hearing that, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to join the, the patron to get that. Well, you don't have to. You just wait. You know, the book will come out eventually. But this is purely just if you want to get an early hands-on then it's going to be I mean, it's a curiosity the thing. Like you can you can play the game. You you might not be playing the the full thing. You might not be playing it right. You're not going to have uh, any maps or any item lists or anything. You know, particularly thing. But if you've got the the chops to do it yourself, Oof. like like we've been, then why the hell not? Why the heck make not? a character? Show it to us. Or I mean, if you yes. just want to make a character and sh- and share it and show us, like, hey, here's my character. I- I'd love to see that because like that's the thing I really like about the system is. The concept wise, you can do a lot of stuff. You can go crazy. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you can probably break the system too, but hey, that's part Heck, of the fun. We'll even make a Discord channel specifically for showing off character sheets in there just to, just to, uh, to have a look at all the creations. Oh, that's a good idea. And I mean, it doesn't, doesn't hurt that it might make uh, anyone who's not a patron feel, uh, feel jealous. Feel a bit of oh, you can't and, uh, say that, Diggy. <laughs> 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 I'm just being honest. <laughs> just, just like, <laughs> hey, you could spend like what, like fucking like two quid. Take it, cancel. You could. It's very you cheap. Could. You could. It's very cheap if you just wanted to sign up and this get. This is it. true, Dicky. You know, the price of a piece of fancy fruit. Price of a piece of fancy fruit. And otherwise, other than that, as well, if you do join the patron, you decide that uh, we are worth your intergalactic credits then uh, you'll also get access to our Sidearm, which is our side podcast where we just ramble and chat before our games. And it's, it's just us just hanging out, being friends. It's not super dissimilar to what we've just done. <laughs> it's not. Uh, but just, it's, just, it's just hanging out and chatting. We also have Raloran up on our Patreon, which is our entire first campaign. It is a D&D 5th edition game set in Dick's own world of Raloran. Yeah, you want to hear us do fantasy? You want to hear us do D and D? It's all there. You want to hear the gen- yeah the Taylor's arrival on the scene? Ooh. She she showed up halfway through us doing that, and you you can hear her very first episode in uh, in Rally yeah. It wasn't halfway through. It was like episode twenty. But uh, well, yeah, yeah, not really halfway through. A little bit, a little bit yeah, into yeah. The, the little tiny bit into step the almost, into the almost. campaign. We were blessed with the Tay. Yeah, and I never and I never left. <laughs> yeah, Tay was meant to come literally for one episode, and then well. Can't, <laughs> well, <laughs> can't get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like we we did like half an episode, and Dan was like, you know, like Simon was like, yeah, you reckon she want to stay here because she seems to be going. Dad, can can Taylor stay the night? <laughs> Dan is like, Dan is like, oh my god, she's still here, you guys. What the fuck? <laughs> and I shouldn't have done that because later on I realized uh, what type of uh, character you would play, and um, that character, while I thought was Baron de Borch's best friend, but um. Apparently, no. Listen, it five was like fingers went. Hakes took your money one time, <laughs> one time, <laughs> and held it for you, and then bought you stuff with it. Which then the Baron was very grateful for. 
Yeah. So like it was totally fine. And then she healed you once. Like, oh my God, that was so helpful. Also, the Baron would be, would have been so drunk he wouldn't have remembered. You're like, oh, I have money. I, I, I lost my money. I was probably spent it. Yeah. Hakes knew you were too drunk to have your own money. Like, yeah. Okay. Also, I just found some money. <laughs> yeah. It was a different world, man. I can't wait to go back to Raloran. I cannot wait. Oh, you hear that, people? Well then. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hope you liked this very special episode. Yes. And uh, please come back next time. I don't think there's anything more to say than bye. Bye. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we get to go and play a game. Tune in next time for another Edge of Your Seat adventure in space with the Backwater Bastards. If you enjoy listening, but also have eyes, check out our Instagram, where we post drawings, illustrations, character art from our adventures. Backwater underscore bastards. Check out our Instagram on Instagram. All right, yes, so now I understand the uh, rules. All right, we can start battling again. Everyone, positions. Yeah, no, you were over there. Don't you cheat. Oh, but I do, I've still got three energy ducks. I didn't even do nothing really much. How many did I have? Oh, you had three as well, Cleo. I think we... Yeah, but Are you sure? But I made a tiny character. Sure, dude, it's fine. We all have three energy. Okay, and um, it was it was my turn, wasn't it? Yes, yes, I think I think it was can my it, turn. Yep, can it right. be my turn next? Yes, yes, it's Cleo's turn next. All right, and three, two... What were those hard berries on the table? Ah! <laughs> 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 Those are gone now.